Season 3, Episode 9 of Hotel Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. I'm Charlie, and tonight we've got Billy, and making her hometown glory return is cousin of the show, Davina. Davina will be giving us the inside line on Tuesday night's fan forum at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, and we'll also, of course, be picking up the baton from Rosa, Sam and Lauren's Derby musings from the week's first episode and get deep into our feelings ahead of Sunday's huge, terrifying fixture. Um so let's dive into it straight away. Davina, it's so nice to see you. Thank you ever so much for returning, um, particularly after your sterling uh, investigative work at the home of Tottenham Hotspur the other night. Um, tell us, how did you enjoy the fans forum? Well, uh, the, it was an event that was wildly anticipated from the whole of Spurs Twitter and mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to cop an invite to it and... I was happy to be the designated secretary of the event. I was there scribbling away notes on my iPad so that I could report back as accurately as possible. And they did release the the video today. But I think a lot of Spurs fans went into the went into the event with the expectations that we'd be able to ask some really hard hitting questions, some uncomfortable questions, sort of at Daniel Levy. Uh, but it was planned by the club during a time at which the fans have the majority of fans have a very positive feeling around the vibes the atmosphere we're doing well we're playing good football and I just don't think there was any way that we could have asked those more difficult questions Mm. the way that the event was structured was sort of the first hour there had been questions submitted online so when we got the acceptance of the invitation we could submit some questions and um, the the host or mediator Nihal who did a brilliant job went through that then he was asking his own questions trying to guide the conversation to have a good distribution between Ange, Sonny, Robert and Bethany as well and I thought that was a that was really good but for the hour and a half that we had that was a whole hour and then we Mm. had half an hour open up to the floor um, but in terms of how the event went, I think my first, the way that I surprised myself first was that I've always, I've never been in the same place as Daniel Levy or in that amount of close proximity and it felt like he was a bit more human. Like he was mm. someone who was there who can make decisions and that was the first thing. It was sort of like... Everyone. Was he impressive? Did he did he impress you? Because I feel like that's partly the vibe. Well, I don't know. I mean, it feels like some people are livid that this was basically just a sort of PR thing. And as you say, like two thirds of the event was sort of pre-planned questions, pre-approved questions. Um, I'm, you know, it seems like they were fairly easy ones for the for the panel, particularly particularly Daniel to answer. But did you, I mean, you just said there he sort of maybe humanised himself in your eyes a little bit more. Did that, did that, or or not? I don't know. What what was, what was your takeaway from sort of listening to him for an hour and a half? I, firstly, I think it's great that he even did the event because 
as a big six club, I, I think it's very rare that you ever hear the owners or like someone from the board willing to put themselves in front of a group of fans, knowing that he's not the most popular character around the club. He was there and he did give us half an hour for it. So I'm, I, I give him credit for actually turning up and not just putting like, and the guy that the media is loving at the minute, Sonny, mm. everyone's loving, like Bethany Robert. And he was there, he was front and centre. And even though the questions that he was asked that were, might have been uncomfortable for him, um, he did dodge. And they sounded what did like he dodge? What, do you, what do you feel like he dodged? Firstly, naming rights. So that was mm. the first question brought up about the fact that we... You know, we've had the new stadium for four years and is has there been a, a missed opportunity of not having naming rights for the last four years? Because he spoke about the fact that everything that he's doing, all the decisions that he's making are to increase the profile of the club, the brand of the club, to increase revenue so that he can reinvest it. And we, w- we would have had a mass amount of revenue accumulated if we had sold those naming rights as soon as the stadium was built. And it's, it's, he sort of like dodged it and said, the club experienced COVID-19. We're not the only club which went through the pandemic. We're not the only club which lost out on events and on income that we could have gained through through that, through events besides football. And he sort of said that it was a cost to the club of £200 million. And until the right owner, if the right company comes in or the right offer comes in, he's happy to call it Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So no real details were given. He kind of mm. ended it with like happy to build up the brand, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, um, represent the club. It's, it's a been quite brand neat. It's, it's been mm. quite a neat gap, a gel free card, I think, with that because I think because of the NFL games, particularly, and you know, Beyonce coming and other sort of A list music events, they seem to be able to spin it as it's really useful for the club's profile for like Tottenham Hotspur to be emblazoned across you know, Beyonce sort of marketing stuff and all the NFL fans, you know, are tuning into the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, not the, you know, Nike Stadium or the Amazon Stadium or whatever it's going to be. Um, So I kind of get it. But yeah, I mean, just the sheer numbers of what they have, who knows? I mean, maybe they have passed stuff up. Maybe there's just not been any real interest. Who knows? I mean, it has been Mm -hmm. a difficult couple of years, I suppose, for companies to make that sort of very long-term commitment that I imagine the club are wanting. Um, did he surprise you in any other way? Was there, you know, was there any sort of humour showed? Like, was his were his interactions with the rest of the panel um, sort of surprising in any way? Like, did he have a rapport with, with Ange, say? Like, do they seem to be getting on well? Um, I think they, that there's a, there's a understanding between them. Mm. Um, I think there was a an awkward moment when he was talking about the fact that he'd previously gone for big name managers and that he hired bloke he hired Ange because he was a normal bloke. Yeah, I and thought that was if like you watched, yes, it seems like a little bit of a dig. And in the video, if you watch it back, like Ange smiles to himself like, What's that supposed to mean? And <laughs> if anything, I think it's a compliment, but it's yeah, it's a bit tricky to, to I liked think how about he called... what he meant by that. He said, you know, I, I tried hiring trophy coaches and, and that didn't work. But um, 
you know, now I've gone for this guy. And it's and uh, Ange's coming on the back of winning winning the treble. The treble. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's won more yeah. trophies in the last like twelve months than Spurs have in about thirty-five years. But um anyway, I mean Ange sort of stole the show, right? I think, you know, he just throughout seemed to sort of captivate everyone again, just with how, you know, just what a thoroughly decent, charismatic, sort of charming, but also very direct and straightforward guy he is. Mm. everything that we loved about Ange it's it's all true it's not like a media personality it's not an act that he puts on if anything I was just there in awe of his stage presence the way that really? he conducted like his answers to all of the questions and the way that he can speak so we've had the stories of how he says that football is at the forefront of everything that is meaningful to his life. He spoke about the fact that that had he had that connection with his dad and he had he met his wife through football. He met his best friends through football when he was growing up. And the way that he can communicate those answers, the audience was just captivated. And I think Levy's got massively lucky with the decision that he's made that Ange can have that effect on people. And, you know, I think it will play a massive part in if we do go through some hiccups it's not always going to be like smooth sailing for example yeah. when when we got knocked out in the Carabao Cup against Fulham we'd already been sort of brought in and already loving Ange and loving the style mm. of play of football that we'd already had that there wasn't as big of a meltdown as I thought we would have and we've we've experienced those meltdowns get, getting out of the cups early doors in previous years and Spurs Twitter has been an absolute mess. Whereas here, the way that he's won over the fan base will be a massive opportunity for for Tottenham to still have that positivity around the club and have faith in the philosophy and the journey that we will be going on. So yeah, all credit to Angie, which is amazing. I have nothing else to say about him. Was um was there enough focus on the Spurs women contingent? Because obviously, you know, everyone adores Ange. Sonny is, you know, the the club sweetheart. Mm-hmm. It was a really good opportunity for people to, you know, and I, I was I, I was looking at some of the comments under your your tweets about attending, and people, you know, there are a few like, oh, like feel sorry for the whoever's there for the women. No one's going to ask them a single question, etc. Was there ample sort of focus given to to Robert and Bethany? Yeah, I think there was a really nice question which came from the crowd, uh, and it was sort of like, "How would you deal? How are your different management styles or different techniques?" And that was directed at Ange and Robert both. Uh, there was also a, there was also questions for Bethany, sort of like um, she hasn't been at the club long. What are the biggest challenges that she's faced as a captain? And I think it was good to also have now the host to equally distribute those questions as well. Yeah. So when there were a lot of questions directed at Ange and Sonny, uh, which there would be, then he was also able to look at the submitted questions, gauge the conversation to also talk about the women's team. For example, the question was raised about um, are there going to be more games played at the, the new stadium and, you know, given that we're not in the Carabao Cup anymore, there's less fixtures to host. Yeah, there's no Europe. Yeah. So, yeah, there's no Europe. Um, it makes sense. And um, 
Well, just I from a revenue perspective, surely, you know, they, exactly. they're going to need they're going to need people through the doors more often this season than they have, you know, required in others. So, sorry, go on. What do they say about that? There's three to four games minimum confirmed. I guess one of them will be the North London Derby. I think that's 17th of November. It's a Friday night, which oh, will wow. be quite cool to have under the lights. Um, so there was that. And also, how is Robert, like, settling in? Um, how's like Bethany looking forward to going back to and, and joining the rest of the team once she's mm. oh, she she came onto the stage on crutches, but uh, yeah, lots of people were like good to see her off crutches, but hopefully she'll be back soon. Um, I, I, I think so. having having the moderator there, I think, was mm. a good move to make sure that it wasn't all just massively focused on the men's team. Isn't it mad when you watch how Sonny has just had this sort of responsibility glow up as captain and is just like beaming and full of, you know, this sort of incredible pride for his new role and just seems to be like, you know, even more Mr. Tottenham now than we ever even necessarily thought. And we already thought he was very, very coy. It's sort of mad in a way, isn't it? That he was like seemingly never part of this sort of... (laughs) you know slightly infamous now leadership group that we all heard lots about particularly last season and you know like it's sort of bonkers to me that we've kept him almost at arm's length in terms of this type of responsibility when you know if you take a step back he's arguably showed more more sort of loyalty to the cause than pretty much anyone um did he really did did that sort of shine through in terms of like the you know the the presence that he now has he seems to have really kind of owned all this, hasn't he? Mm. And he spoke about the fact that he's not, he hasn't always been the person to speak the loudest or speak the most and be the most vocal. He wants to be a different kind of captain and lead by example, not just to the players, but to the fans. And I think that really stuck with me because Mm. of the way that, you know, when he pushed Richardson to the front of the celebrations at the weekend and he he was asked about that, did you pre-plan that? And he said, no, I wouldn't pre-plan that because he's said that he's gone through difficult times of his career, reflecting on the back of last season. And Mm. he knows what it is, what it feels like to be able to take your team out of those difficult moments, play a a vital role in coming back in the last minutes of the game, Richardson with a goal and an assist. And he said that more than anything, he was happy that it was him who was able to do that for the team. And he just wants him to be happy and and you really believe think, it as well right because I think you know sometimes players talk up like oh yeah I'm so thrilled for my teammate he's been through a rough patch it's great you know it's more it's all about the team it's not about me scoring I truly be- you know and I know we're all very much high on sort of Sonny's supply right now but you know you saw those videos of him you know leaping off the bench and going straight to Richarlison you saw those quotes talking about you know I'm happier that he scored than if I had scored. You know, this is so huge for him. It's huge for for the team. And I feel like, you know, I'm sure he would have felt like that before being captain too. But I do feel like there's something now about this extra level of responsibility where, you know, this is his team now. He is by far and away the most, you know, tenured player on this squad. He, you know, he's been there, done it in a Spurs shirt. And I think that he's just so desperate for this group to do well. Um and I just don't think we've, and we've spoken about this before on the podcast, but I just don't think, I just don't think we've had this type of leadership, certainly this sort of outward show of leadership. You know, Hugo definitely wasn't that sort of public facing leader. 
I don't think you know Kane particularly was either. It's not necessarily. I don't think his his personality, but it's just it's so lovely. And I think it was it was a really nice opportunity for Sonny to sort of be on stage with those other sort of leaders and hopefully feel the love off everyone. Mm. And he also spoke about the fact that he'd gained experience being captain of the South Korean national team since 2018, I think it was. And he's learned from all of the challenges he's experienced in the national team, obviously, and at Tottenham. And I think the amalgamation of going through those periods of like nearly winning, going through those really tough periods of when we've Mm. not been playing well at all, having played under so many different managers, so many different playing styles, and often not... I'd say not getting the credit he deserves. He's never been like that main man with all the media attention onto him. He's not had a massive amount of praise. Like he's the one who's dug Tottenham out of this situation and this situation. It's already, we've, we have respectfully been the Harry Kane team. So I think he's kind of known what it feels like to have to really fight for like that, mm. that not, not respect or like, he knows what I think it, it is respect. Though. I mean, yeah. we, you know, you think you think back to that Guardiola comment, and then you know, literally the next day or whenever it was, you know, Son basically wins us that tie, um, that Champions League quarter final. You know, that was mm. his his moment, and you know, against the same team when all the the Kane to City stuff was swelling around, it was Son that scored the winner that day and that first game of the season against against Man City, and you know, I remember his sort of celebrations on the pitch that day and in front of the South Stand, you know, that felt like that was going to be the moment where he assumed sort of leadership for the squad. And as it felt like Kane was on on the way out at that point, but, you know, we had this sort of almost hangover period of of Harry sort of sticking around, I guess. But yeah, it's, 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 it's lovely to see. It's really lovely to see. We adore Sonny, Mm. of course. Um, Tell me, did you like, did you like Robert? Did he come over well? Yeah, he came over really well and he, spoke really highly of Tottenham as a club as well. So he said he's obviously managed in Sweden and the reason why he was so drawn to coming to Tottenham was that he genuinely believes that the Tottenham women's team can be the best team in the world. Like he believes in that potential and he knows that fighting relegation and the Spurs women's team with the calibre that the calibre of player that they have shouldn't be anywhere near the championship. So um he does truly believe in the fact that Spurs women's team can can do great things, and that came across with like his his words, the the like power of his voice. Mm. And yeah, I was really impressed. I was really, really, really impressed. Yeah, good vibes from him. Did you come away feeling? Because I mean, I feel like from the conversations we've had before, Davina, you know, you're fairly sort of Enix skeptic. Um, do you feel that, and I know that, you know, this is obviously like a club run thing. It's all designed for everyone to come away feeling, you know, sort of fuzzy and feel good about the club we support and put all our time and money into. But did, did you did you come away feeling a bit more sort of, in you know, heartened by how the club's being run? And, you know, is it by luck or design, I guess, that Levy can take the stage with three people, um, sorry, four people that, you know, fans generally are really into right now. Like, did, how, how did, did it make you feel better about the club and how it's being run afterwards? 
in the moment, it was a really nice thing to be able to experience. I know that I was mm-hmm. very lucky to have gone and there were a lot of fans who wished they could have. But yeah, in the moment, it was a fun thing, but it was a, a glorified PR event, really. Yeah. And that was going to be my question, which I never got to ask, was why at this moment in time have we decided to have a fan forum? I think the last one was 2017, which arguably was the last time that we were good. Hmm. And it's just a bit coincidental that the two times that we've had an event like this, we've, we as a fan base have been quite positive of what we're seeing on the pitch. And a, a better opportunity to have had this fan forum was, for example, after the Super League or, you know, when Conte was sacked or all of the all of the numerous times in the last three years where we've been so disjointed, we've not had that collective feeling as a fan base. And that's when an event like this would have been really useful mm. to be able to talk to our club captain, our whoever our manager was at the time, our chairman, in order to build that connection. Because right now... Yeah we seem to have created that connection already through the content which is being pushed out towards us, what we're seeing on the pitch and like the charisma and vibes of the team. So of course it will sort of make our hearts, like you said, feel like fuzzy and we'll feel more affection to the team that they've been able to, uh, Mm. the whole, the whole club as a general that they've been able to invite 250 Spurs fans to have this conversation. But I think if we're going to get anywhere, make real progress and build that connection with the fans and the club and the people who make the decisions to have these more regularly. Yeah. How do you think it would have gone if someone had asked a really anti-Levy question or been quite aggressive? I don't know. I feel like whatever question was asked, there would have been an answer prepared. So, for example, there was a question of like the ticket prices and the answer prepared was we met with the fan advisory board and we're conducting a review. Right. And it was, you know, they'll say like, I think the answer for anything that we could have asked would have been like, we're aware of the issue and we're conducting an internal review or there are discussions being had to minimise the impacts on the fans. And that's what I mean by they would have, thought through every possible question that could have been asked Uh, they have twitter too and they Mm -hmm. can see the concerns of the fans being voiced on there and uh yeah i think if there had been a difficult question we could have they could have easily like dodged around it yeah um the two moments i loved i really enjoyed bethany's answer to um to the proud lily whites Mm -hmm. representative i forget their name um but I thought she spoke so eloquently and passionately and very, very beautifully, actually, just on, you know, how she is a, a very proud gay woman, you know, feels supported and, um, you know, that this is a club that does sort of, in her opinion, do, you know, ample to provide that sort of safe, reassuring, supportive space for, 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 for queer people. And, um, I just thought she came the whole the whole way through. She just comes over as like an absolute superstar that is also very human, is also funny and self-deprecating. And I mean, as much as I am incredibly sad that Shalina is no longer Spurs captain, um, mm. 
we couldn't really have a better ambassador for Spurs women. I don't think she's she's doing a terrific job already. Um, and then also the bit at the end when Ange sort of stopped Nihal in his tracks, who was trying to wrap it up to to um, to get one more question. That must have been a really lovely moment. That was such a lovely moment, and and he he was right at the front as well. And Ange said, "I knew that question was for me," and it just speaks to his character because Ange noticed that. I mean, the fan who put his hand up didn't have his hand up like really high either. And Andrew obviously scanned the crowd and like his just awareness and his heart. Yeah. Like I said, I'm just in awe of that man. Brilliant. <laughs> um, Davina, if you were running the next one, um, which, you know, considering considering your trajectory these days, I wouldn't be surprised if you were asked <laughs> to... Uh, sort out the next one quite frankly but um say that was to be the case what would you do differently oh what would i do differently um i think it would be it's a big ask but have the the leadership trio um like madison romero as well i think that would be that that would just from my personal uh perspective i think it would be quite cool to have all three of them and i think also have a a bigger section on having a open floor discussion. Yeah. So it's not so scripted. I, I don't mm. think it was that scripted, but we kind of knew where the conversation was going to go. And there was like a list of pre pre listed questions that were yeah. going to be asked. And yeah, I think half an hour for, I'd say I, I wouldn't even say half an hour, 15 minutes of lighthearted questions um, that was a good lighthearted question asking Sonny whether he would win the Champions League and wear one outfit for the rest of his life or <laughs> wear, wear any outfit that he could ever want but just not win the Champions League. And that was, it, it was nice to have What did he say? Questions. What was his answer? Obviously Champions League. I don't think he could have answered anything else. <laughs> um, but Burberry are going to be furious with that answer. But, aren't yeah. they just? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think open the floor up and maybe I would say there was a diverse group of people invited. They had this supporters group, they had like Spurs Reach, they had Proud Lady Whites, but I think have a better representative of the entire club's fan base. For example, mm. um, people who go and watch the Academy, there was only one question which was addressed about the Academy and they are a massive part of our club as well. They feed what into was the question on the What was the question um, on the kids? The question was, what does the what is the role of our academy? And Ange spoke really well, talking about the fact that he gave Harry as Harry as an example. They're the ones who know what it's like to fight for the badge, and they're a massive asset to the club. And um, looking to see what talent is there before, like looking elsewhere. Firm believer of like always using the youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a really nicely well answered question, but it would have been nice to have more people sort of who follow follow the academy and also more season ticket holders of the women's team yeah. um, actually asking the question rather than it coming from the mediator. Mm. So I think yeah, that's what I would have done. Uh, split up the the audience a little bit more as well. Yeah, good stuff. Um, well, we look forward to the first Davina organize one maybe next year um but thank you ever so much for that uh for that reporting 
Um, we really appreciate you coming back and talking to us on that. Um, let's bring in Billy now as we go from sort of lighthearted, warm and fuzzy stuff to terrifying North London Derby stuff. Um, vibe check, first of all, my lovely friends. Um, Billy, how are you feeling, mate? Um, I think the nerves are just kicking in, to be honest. Like it's getting that time. Um, is it kind of like from now on, I think it like consumes your whole week, do not it? Like that kind of feeling that has come in and um, just not knowing what's going to happen. And like by Friday, it's like it's unbearable. It's like it's all you can think about. And um, yeah, I mean, I kind of feel a lot better than I did this time last year about this this particular game and the one before. I feel like we're in a, a semi-good place going into it. Um it's just you know you can never be optimistic for this game. I don't I don't think I've ever thought in my life that we're going to go there and win. Um, but yeah, it's definitely getting into the the nerve period now, man. Mm. Davina, how you doing? Um, contrary to what my Twitter has <laughs> shows, <laughs> and that I'm very, it looks like I'm very confident that we're going to get go there and get something out of that game. But having watched their performance tonight uh, at time of recording, they're absolutely battering PSB in the Champions League, giving them, giving them an opportunity to take key players off. Um, I was thinking that maybe, you know, they'll be knackered by having a midweek game, um, scrape past Everton at the weekend, but I am so worried. It's a game where you can't really enjoy it no. until after you found out the result. And even then it's 50-50, you know, well, and draw, I mean. Yeah, a draw at best. I mean, we've not, what is it, 2011 we won that game there? Yeah. And since then, I yeah. mean, we had that We had that had run, didn't we? Game. Those one-all draw. Yeah, we had the cup game, the, the Delhi chip game. Yeah. And we we had that spell under Poch when we'd go there. And was it was it like three one-all draws in a row or something we got going there? Or at least a one couple? Half as well, like Chadley. Yeah. Chadley. Oh, and that was pretty good. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. We had a good... Dyer. A good few. There was, there was the one where we were two 0 up, wasn't there? When in Poch's last season, they scored like mm. right before half time, didn't they? And then like yeah, they batted a second half. It was like two all. So I mean, I just my my big thing with Spurs going to the Emirates is just normally how terrified we look, and I can't handle just you know we can go to most other grounds. You know we can go to the Etihad and pretty much like hang tough with you know, the, the best team in Europe. And there's just something, or well, there has been something, particularly the last three seasons, where, you know, the even the game where it was only 2-1, wasn't it, where Lamella scored the Puskas winning goal. But we were dreadful that day. We should have lost about 5-1. They were so much better than us from the second we scored. And then what was the next one? The Nuno one that was 3-1. And that, for me, that was the worst one of all of them. That was... That was the worst. Had, uh, I mean, that should have been about 9-0. Yeah. yeah, I mean that was like the, the first fifteen minutes. One. Yeah, man. Yeah. The, the Conte, Conte one was three managers, the three consecutive managers yeah. have been absolutely terrible there. Like we have, that's the thing that gets me about this game is we don't even. It's like, not like we sort of go. We have a terrible loss last minute. We don't even turn up there. Like we don't even. No, that's anything. what I mean. We just look scared, yeah. and yeah. I'm so bored of Spurs teams turning up. And I know Arsenal haven't got the best record of coming to us, but I don't know that they ever quite look as like terrified of their own shadows as we often do. You know, just. Mm-hmm any sort of press or any sort of like attack they you know we're throwing it in our own nets we're falling over it's you just want to see us and I suppose this is going to be my first proper question to you both aside from how scared are you how does how does Ange ensure that you strike that balance right because obviously 
you know, we've been playing lovely expansive football, we're on the front foot, we're controlling possession, all of this stuff. That's going to be very difficult at the Emirates. You could argue, if I was being a bit tight, that we've not really played anyone that good yet. You know, you, I know, I know we've played Man United, but they're a rabble. Like, they are not a good football team at the moment. Everyone mm-hmm. else is sort of middle of the road or going to be struggling down the bottom. This is, you know, as the record sort of indicates, this is probably a hard, ridiculously, considering, you know, Arsenal have only been, really been good for the last 12 months. This is probably the hardest game we have all season. How does how does Ange approach this? Does he just carry on regardless in terms of this is how my teams play? I'm going to send them out. If we get pressed and we make a few mistakes and we're 3-0 down suddenly, doesn't matter. It's all part of the journey. Or is he a bit more pragmatic for this one, at least to start with, perhaps? Do we, you know, play to sort of, you know, get through the first 15, 20 minutes without conceding and then have a platform to build? Billy, what would you do? Um, so I just want to shout out this um, Celtic fan. Like since um, Ange came, he's been like DMing me a lot, and like most of the time now, it's like he's DMing me depressed, like seeing how happy that we are, and like just remembering what that was like. And um, but one of the things I remember him saying to me was um, he was talking about this because he he DMs me after most games that we play, um, keeping an eye on us and that. And one of the things that he said this week was that like he Ange went to Real Madrid and played the same team that he played against anyone. Um, I can't see him changing anything, to be honest. I think he's just, I think he's one of those managers that is so like obsessed and so mm. um, has so much fidelity to his own style of football that it doesn't matter who you play against or where you play. This is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to play it. So I think there'll obviously there'll be a couple of tweaks here and there about, you know, um, keeping it slightly more defensive in some points and things. But I think he's going to set up in the same way. He's going to try and take control of the ball. Um, and I remember last season, man, when um, Brighton went there at the end, towards the end of the season, and they just rocked up and played football and they won and they had like more possession than us at the Emirates. So it is possible. It's definitely possible. I, you know, it doesn't mean I think that we're going to do that and have more possession, like totally dominate the game. But I don't think Andrew's is going to be swayed whatsoever in his philosophy. I think he's going to turn up um, and try and play ball against him, to be honest. Davina, are you as confident in Ange sticking to the plan? You know, coming from Celtic, he is massively aware of what it's like to play in a derby of this magnitude mm. and he will know how to prep this team in terms of like mentality going into it how you should approach the game your attitude being aware of you know you can't just create a mess on the pitch and go into this game terrified no matter how good their track record has been like like you said Arsenal have been good for the last 12 months and arguably last season played some of the most exciting football in the league Whereas if you look at the games that they've had leading up to this game on Sunday, they haven't been the most convincing, but they've been able to grind out results. And I, I, have, I have trust in Ange. We, we have to back him. He's our manager. We've not got a reason to doubt him thus far. I mean, apart from a few decisions in the Carabao Cup, but I've loved the way, I've loved the style of the players' um, mentality, actual style of play, the togetherness on and mm. off the pitch. And I have faith that Sully said it brilliantly in the fan forum. He can't guarantee a result, but he'll guarantee that himself and the rest of the team will will put the most amount of effort that they can into that game and yeah, give it their all. And I, I think for the first time in a few years, I definitely believe that. You know, I think mm. before it's just felt like lip service and we've kind of known that 
we're either going to turn up and hope for a draw or we're just going to turn up and be all over the place because the, the you know the team's all over the place the coaching's all over the place it's um it's just that terrifying thing you know and it's and it's the atmosphere as well you know we won't yet have gone you know this group won't have gone to a stadium where you know i know we all sort of take the piss out of the emirates and it's sort of atmosphere and whatever but you know it will be a cauldron it will be a fearsome environment for the players to go out and try and play that football you know for, for i was thinking about you know vicario who hasn't put a foot wrong you know I, I genuinely think he's been pretty flawless really since he joined this is going to be like a humongous test for him like having the ball at his feet as much as he does you know having you know the home fans sort of desperate for him to fuck up like this is is there any i was going to ask then sort of thinking about Vicario and my slight nerves around you know a goalkeeper having his first North London derby away is there anyone you're nervous about going out and sort of expressing themselves in the way that they have been thus far? Like, is there anyone you feel or, or, or any sort of position? Cause you know, I think the goalkeeper, you've obviously got the fullbacks that have been playing such a sort of, you know, adventurous cavalier inverted, you know, involved in central midfield way. What, what are you nervous about in terms of how we might set up and whether or not the plan actually can work Davina? Yeah, the, the player that I was the most nervous about was probably Vicario, even though, like you said, not put a foot wrong, but not just our starting eleven, but players on the bench, whoever we name on the bench, there are some players who have not played mm. like very much Premier League football at all. And then to have a game of this magnitude come up and we're not facing them at our own ground, we're facing them at the Emirates. And as we discussed earlier, even the most experienced players, even, you know, they've been at our club for years and years, go to the Emirates and sometimes have a, an absolute nightmare just because of how big the game is and it's the North London derby. So mm. there's no one in particular that I'm like, oh, I'm absolutely terrified about how they're going to perform and I'm really worried about whether they're going to make a mistake and make us concede a goal. But I think I think we just got we just have to have faith in them. There's no reason for yeah. anyone thus far to have that amount of like scrutiny on their back just yet. Mm. And you would hope that, you know, this is the first time in a few seasons where, you know, a Spurs team will be going to the Emirates and actually looking to play football, right? I mean, since since that sort of Mourinho game that we mentioned, it's just been turning up, hope you nick a goal and then 11 men behind the ball for the rest of it mm. and hope you don't crumble. Um Billy, who do you think they're going to be? Let's, let's, I'm going to take my negative question away and let's apply a more positive way of framing that. If you were Arsenal, who would you be worried about? Or what What about Tottenham Hotspur would you be worried about going into this game if you're Arsenal? Oh, Basuma and Madison, for sure. Like They're probably the two best matures in the Premier League this season so far. Um, unless you, you I mean, know. Rice versus Basuma feels like yeah. a proper yeah. heavyweight contest. Don't get me wrong, right? Rice is an, is an excellent, excellent player and it's a, it's a really good battle. But um, I think they're just players that can damage you. Um, I, I think it's really interesting what you guys are just saying, actually. like, I think there's two ways it can go. So a lot of just having to look at the team that we've last played Arsenal against. And there's a, I'll read it in a second. But like uh, for a lot of our players, it's their first North London derby. Um, so this is a team that last time we played. So I had Loris in goal, Romero, Dyer, Longley, Doherty, Saar, Hoybier, Sessegnon, Kulisevsky, Son and Kane. So there's only Son, 
Romero and Hoybier and Saar that are still here and, and Kudusowski that are still playing. Of those players, Hoybier probably won't play. Um, mm. So there's, like, there's going to be like three players that are, are used to playing in North London Derby. Saar, I wouldn't exactly count them as an experienced player in North London Derbys either. Um, so he's played one. This was before Porro even signed. So four of the back five is going to be like their first North London Derby. Um, and I think that, you know, that could go one of two ways. It could be like rabbit in the headlights, not knowing what to do, or... They're not going to have any of that pretenses and that sort of feeling that, you know, we've been here a lot of times and going to lose this game. Um, yeah. It could just be like, right, this is another game for us. We're going to turn up there and play our football. So I think that could work really, really well. Um, I, I don't know if Martinelli's injured still. I hope that he is because I think he's a decent player. I don't know if, I'm not sure if he made the squad tonight or anything. I haven't really been across it. But um, I think, that, yeah, I think it's going to be the midfield battle because the last few times we turned up the Emirates, we firstly under Conte and he never, ever used to walk away from that stupid midfield and every time we played three in midfield for like two years in a row we used to get battered and like mm. overrun in midfield so it's going to be three versus three in midfield and there aren't many three in midfield that i think can dominate us at all i don't in fact i don't, I don't think anyone in the league can dominate us because of basuma Saar, and madison that's just as good a midfield in the premier league as you're ever going to see um so i think it's going to be the midfield battle and there's there's a chance there's a decent chance that we could win that battle um also very strong mm. in midfield as well don't get me wrong but you know, I think we're a lot better face than we were this time last year when you read that team. And yeah, I mean, Basuma, he, he wasn't involved last year in any of the North London derbies. So it's a massive game for him. And the way that he's playing at the moment, um, you'd have to say he's the most informed midfielder in the league. So yeah, man, just just hopefully that midfield battle we can win. Um, I was going to ask about lineups. Are there any changes you'd make from the Sheffield United game? There's been a lot of talk about maybe Emerson coming in for Porro to try and shore things up and not be quite so sort of gung-ho potentially. But I don't know how I feel about that because I think Porro, A, is playing brilliantly. B, I actually think is defending really well when he's been asked to defend. And I think he does give you that, you know, that the, his passing, the crossing that he gives you going forward, I think could actually be a real weapon. Um, Davina, any changes you'd make? What What about that right back position, for example? Um, given the way that we're approaching the game, not just to go and kind of, like you said, we're not. I don't think we play defensively, and having a right back who will go forward and help out with the attack, put those crosses into the box. I would definitely start Poro if we were going there to cut our losses and play for like a draw. Mm. Then maybe go a bit more defensive, but. The way that we've started our season, the performances that we've put in, given that we had the second easiest couple of games, like run of couple of games, why would you take Poro out of the starting eleven? He's shown that he is good enough, and he has he has been improving defensively, probably working on that in training or whatever. But no, I think it's I think it's cruel to to drop him for Emerson. Well, I guess this is our team's first real test of the season see how they get on I mean we've really mm. got nothing to lose because I don't think very many people are expecting us to come away with all three points so let's see what the current starting 11 can do um, Billy I imagine too that Emerson's probably um, not getting an awful lot of sleep because of course uh, he's just celebrated becoming a father um, I'm not sure if you know if anyone picked up on the very low key photos that he posted that were in no way quite um, a lot to deal with first thing on a Monday morning. Um, and also, you know, it was good as well that, you know, sort of Mrs. Emerson was front and center, you know, having done all the work 
in no way did Emerson sort of manage to frame himself kind of right smack bang as uh center of um attention at any of the pitches whatsoever but we offer of course congratulations to the the beautiful Emerson Royale family um I was gonna I was trying to think of how you would say like the Royale family because <laughs> Royale's like his nickname right that's not the family name but Emerson is Emerson his first? I don't know. I need also, to look up what he's called. I don't think um I don't think the name of the baby has come out yet as well, which I'm Oof. anxiously waiting for, man. I'm looking forward to him. It's gonna be something crazy, I know that for sure. Um yeah, I feel I'm like sure. asking you any sort of Emerson question is always a bit um, you know, putting you in a very awkward position. But yeah. Poro or Emerson for you, mate? Um, I'd go Poro as well. Um because I think Ange looks, you know, in the opposite of our previous manager that we've had the last few years. His whole idea is about how can we score goals and what can I do to make mm-hmm. us be more interested in scoring goals and have a better chance of scoring goals. So he looks his outlook is always attacking and how how can I have the best attacking players on the pitch? So I think he's going to start Poro. Um, I think the only question mark for me is the front three, which I I honestly have no idea um, the way he's going to go because I I kind of feel like Arsenal is a game. Whereas Sheffield United wasn't, I actually kind of feel like that was actually proven in the game itself as well. Arsenal is like a game made for Son as a striker. Like there's going to be so much space in behind. You're going to play a high line. There's going to be so many turnovers and counter attacks and stuff. Um, and any success that we've generally had over Arsenal over the last years, you know, the Son running onto the ball has been a big part of it. And a lot of the games that we've won there, um, won against them, sorry. And um, I don't know, man, but then do you play Rich Allison just because he's got that kind of. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, and also, is he is he built? Yeah, is he yeah. built for this sort of fish? Yeah. I mean, he might also be built to get a red card after twelve minutes. I don't know, but yeah. So I think it's a, oh. I think it's a really difficult call. I don't I don't know which way it's going to go. To be honest, mm. um, I don't know if it's just I. My gut instinct, if you ask me right now, I think he'll go Son, Richie, Kudaseski. Um, But I personally think it could be a good game for Son to play striker just because there's going to be so much space in behind Arsenal. Uh, whereas there and, you would, and you would play Solomon at left wing. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And then you've always got Richie as an impact server. Like he came on. Um, I just think like Rich Arlison at the moment, he had an f- amazing game, but it's just like building it up step by step. If he comes on again... Um, he'll be sort of angling towards the start in the next two or three games. Maybe this is yeah. I'm in a bit too soon in this sort of renaissance. So, yeah, that's the only. I don't know. I have no idea which front three is going to pick. To be honest, um, I need to. Um, is a real bit of a bummer as well. To be honest. Oh, that was we were saying earlier. Like the that Perisic news really like properly took me off my stride. I was in such a like I was in a really bad mood. Like I really feel bad for whoever had to like be in a meeting with me for a couple of hours afterwards because it was one of those like embarrassing football things as well where someone someone who like knows cares not about football in the slightest was like are you okay what's up and I was like oh just Ivan Perisic has done his ACL just it's just like I, such a, a game changing sub like when you've got like 10 minutes in the Arsenal game with you're chasing the game Perisic yeah. is like cash money man this is like spamming crosses Rich Allison. It just works so well. It's just such a shame. It's a real shame, man. I think you could tell as well, because I remember reading over the summer that apparently there was talk that, you know, he wasn't that popular within the group and he didn't yeah, really integrate yeah. very well. But just looking at all of the messages for, on Instagram that all the players are posting, it seems like kind of the opposite to me, which I love because I'm a big sort of, well, I was going to say apologist. Last season, I would have been a 
um Perisic apologist but now I feel like everyone's come around to him well, a bit what, but 16, 16 assists now isn't he some of Spurs and yeah. like, which is insane really and I just I mean I just really it would be lovely if um I can't remember who reported it but there was talk that he might he's, he's going to be pushing to come back in the spring sort of March April time to you know to sort of contribute towards the the back end of the season which would be lovely but what a blow like Oh, I mean, I know this might mean we get to see Brian Hill and there is, you know, a lot of kind of tactico Spurs heads have long talked up the idea that, you know, Ange is the guy to unlock Brian's Spurs potential and this is the chance for him to play on his preferred wing and he's that kind of touchline winger that Ange likes and all that kind of stuff. So who knows, we might yet get a sort of silver lining in that in that way. When he does come back from injury but um i also need to like work harder at liking solomon because i don't know man like i can't get i just can't get with it yet with solomon i don't know if it's like and this is not a nice thing to say potentially but his vibe just doesn't seem like on the same level as the others somehow like i'm not like buying that he's like with the lads just yet he just there's something a bit off about him and I don't know what it is and I'm sure he's like the loveliest man and it seems like he is incredibly lovely I don't know do you guys like Solomon I think please it's, don't I like, make me it's in the eyes man I think it's, he's got like serial killer eyes his eyes are so blue yeah you are right you shouldn't have eyes that blue if they want us to like him they need to give us more Solomon content because that's how we fall in love with the rest of our players yeah, yeah you're right. He's yeah. That's maybe that's all it is. He's just not. They've not showed, you know, because it'll pretty much for all of them, right? It's like obviously Madison's front and center, like Mickey Van Der Ven's the like, you know, teen comedy heartthrob mm. that they can't stop posting photos of for obvious reasons. Everyone loves like Saar and Udogi and all these guys are like you know vibes vibesmen of the highest order, but. Something about Solomon, they're just not pushing quite yet. And um, I, yeah, maybe I, that's all it is. I really and like Maybe him. just a goal in a North London derby and I'll shut up. Yeah, there you go, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really like him just because he reminds me so much of Aaron Lennon, like in every way. Yeah. Got similar he does, yeah. He also he does. Got and, Aaron, and Aaron's one of my favourite all time players, so I, sh- exactly. I really should. He's got a dash like, of more about him, though, doesn't he? Where he just kind of runs into. It's got the same number as well. Yeah. That's yeah. maybe that's yeah. it. Still got PTSD. Yeah. And, you, know, you know, he might even go Brendan Johnson. Who knows, man? Like he could. Yeah, possibly. Some people saying he's played left wing before. So. He could go full speed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we're going to get three we... in one place, it's going to be a winger, isn't it? Like, we've got like so many wingers. That's like our one area of depth that we have. Yeah. So to recap, Billy, you reckon Richarlison starts? Davina, are you picking Richarlison or are you going with no, the sort think, of tried think... and tested? Yeah, tried and tested and then Richarlison on, depending on what the scoreline is, at like 65 minutes to make sure we get something out of the game. If you could pick one player to score a winner um, in this match, who would you pick to score the winner? Billy? Well, I would have said that if you asked me this this time... Slightly before yesterday, I would have said Richarlison, but after watching the Lazio game last night, the <laughs> Vicario corner goal, that is, it's like the limbs that have beaten us. Like after two days after our insane limbs, 
like having a goalkeeper corner goal and that header that the goalkeeper did. I don't know if you saw the Lazio game, but yeah, I'm going to go with Vicario. Why not? It would have to be the most Ange ball level of like dedication to the craft for us mm-hmm. to because we'd need to be we would be drawing at the time so you're proposing that it's one all say yeah. at the emirates in the last minute and we're putting the goalkeeper up for a corner <laughs> it is, that is a energy and you've seen how fast he can get up and down the pitch yeah he could be there in like five seconds flat so yeah imagine his celebration oh in serious it's got to be rich Arneson, though it has to be rich Arneson, yeah. just because he would like shush the crowd. It would just be brilliant. He'd go and, full Adebayor, wouldn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. I would love I would, it. I would love it, man. I would absolutely. Oh. Love it. Um, Madison would do something that would like enrage the Arsenal fans to the point where I think someone would come on the pitch and like try and assault him. So that would be quite funny. Um, Romero. Romero would just get sent Unreal. off. Like it would just yeah. involve <laughs> some sort of like immediate red card, I think. Uh, <laughs> Basuma's um, celebration would be like just vibes. He'd start doing a dance of some sort. That would he's be never just... he's never scored for us as even Basuma. Has he? He's never. No. Scored. no, he hasn't. I thought he was going to score on the weekend, but he didn't yeah. quite manage That'd it, did he? Um, Basuma, <laughs> Basuma, just like being collapsed on the pitch <laughs> um, after Kulu scored on the weekend. I don't think was necessarily being spoken about enough, just in terms of how just. Like both worrying and also completely hilarious, it was really <laughs> just like honestly the scenes after that goal. I know the others, the other guys spoke about it a lot the other night, but just like I don't think I'll ever quite get enough of watching. And I, it's really funny when you watch the sort of BBC Sky highlights and we score, and then the cameras have like no idea who to follow because every single there's like two Chaos. players going in every. Day. Every direction. They just, just had no idea how to coordinate their celebration. Everyone just lost their heads. It was it was just so wholesome. I loved it. We I got I mean before. we yeah, got like, really lucky with that, by the way. I this is my like sort of nerdy, slightly boring thing to say, but like the amount of players that had been subbed off or were substitutes that came onto the pitch to celebrate for like ages, not even just like came on for a bit and then ran off again because they realized, oh shit, I can't do this. We like Van der Ven could have easily got a second jello and he would have missed the derby. Sonny was on the pitch for like five minutes. Like we should we should have had like countless extra yellows and maybe reds. So we got I feel really like quite the referee lucky. didn't the referee, the referee didn't clock it because they they were still in full kit. So yeah, yeah. we got really super lucky. Had, like, no handle on the rules or the game whatsoever. So it's good. Yeah. It was, it was like, the one upside. To, yeah, it was the one upside to having such a shambolic ref. You're right. But, by that point, it just completely lost all sense of what was happening. Um, okay, so right, we've covered um, ideal winning goal scorer. Um, how how do you guys cope with the sort of? I mean, we've spoken a little bit about the stress. How are you like? How are you around? Like, say, other Arsenal fans in the sort of week leading up to these games? Like, are you? Are you cocky? Are you confident? Do you give it a big un? Are you just like, I can't deal with these people. I need to just like be in a safe space with fellow Spurs fans. And but how 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 do you manage the uh, the wider world of Arsenal? In, in yeah, my general this? philosophy is just avoid at all costs, man. I can't be dealing with it. Like the sort of the arrogance of around. I, just, I find everything about them so like incredibly cringe. Um, one of their things at the moment is this Ben White stuff that they keep coming out of. They keep calling him, um, what is this name that they give him? Um, Benny Blank or whatever they call him. Um, and I just find, you know, and I just, a lot of the stuff that they say, just like, 
it upsets me on like a cellular level in my body like i can't handle it so i just ignore it all class um i used to a few years ago obviously i used to get a lot more involved on twitter Arsenal fans i just i can't do it anymore i just can't my body just can't take it like on a physical level like um it's like for example the stuff like calling it the carpet and stuff like that it's just like it like has such an out a bodily reaction to me. I've cringed that it actually like makes my <laughs> whole body like go inwards on itself, and I can't. I just can't deal with it anymore. So I avoid all of that. Um, this like arrogance that they have now at the moment is is like insane. I don't know if you saw these tweets that are going around like saying, "Oh, I hope Spurs try and press us." Imagine that would be funny. Three 0 win. Like all this. It's like they've only been good for a year. We finished above them like you know like six or seven years in a row before that. Um, I would absolutely love to just to, to, to beat them, but my general reaction at the moment is I can't be dealing with it. Like I can't do it anymore. I've spent a lot of years of my life arguing with like faceless Twitter accounts about <laughs> you know this stuff that I'm you know I've personal growth moved on from it all. Um, so my gut instinct these days is just to avoid it all costs because I can't have another person saying we're going to turn up at the carpet and play Spurs and beat. You know, I just can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm done. I am. I'm starting to feel like truly gaslit by that club in the sense that yes, like Arteta is ostensibly and very clearly like not a nice person. Hey, did, like, you see, I, did you see that interview? That, exactly. That, that completely innocuous question that the reporter asked him about the goalkeeper situation at Arsenal, considering, you know, Ramsdale, who has been lauded for you know multiple seasons as a standout Arsenal player, has just been unceremoniously dumped for a new signing. Of course, he's going to get asked about it, and he comes up with that weird bullshit about like what shirt number is Vieira, and like this sort of weird kind of like homeless man pet routine that he does, thinking that he's fucking Jedi mind tricking everyone. It's just like this is not either like a clever person or a nice person. So, and I, I get that you have to sort of defend your manager and I get that, you know, tribal loyalties tend to send us all a bit fucking doolally at points. And Christ knows, like, you know, I think Billy, you and I probably held on with Conte yeah. past the point that it was sensible and or made an awful lot of sense. But like, this guy is like, you know, for many, many reasons, some of which we can't mention on air for, you know, potential legal uh, reasons like this is not a good dude and like yet it feels like it's only Spurs fans like we're dismissed as sort of raving psychopaths for being like oh they're just jealous or what are they going to have a go oh, at yeah. now like we live rent free in their heads that's what I got because I like, tweeted that yeah. <laughs> so this is like a bad dude like surely we're not the only ones that will see it like I just I mean Davina I feel like you might have inherited some of Billy's um, faceless Arsenal sort of drones just coming for you now where Billy is sort of, you know, fatherhood has ensured Billy has taken a step back perhaps, but they're, they're fucking mental, right? Like just so weird. They are so weird. And it was, I was just, all I commented on the video of that clip from that interview was just so, so weird. I didn't, I was just reacting to that comment that he could have answered in any other way, but he chose to, sort of like attack the reporter for doing his job and they were like the Arsenal fact the replies I got were like oh that we live in their heads so rent free I love the fact that he annoys every like all of the other fan bases like what and they, and they also started attacking Ange and they were like just because our manager doesn't say mate at the end of every sentence and doesn't put it on for the media and I said if anyone 
it's putting on an act for the media. It's your manager, not ours. Our manager is genuinely a nice guy. I can say it now because I've been in the same room as him, certified <laughs> that he's actually a nice guy. But yeah, I think I have inherited some of your uh, your haters that stem from the Arsenal fan base. I, um... Yeah, yeah, I I hate that. I I that's one of my actual biggest pet peeves. It's this thing of like, um, our Arsenal are rent free, or you're obsessed with Arsenal. It's like, yeah, that's literally what a rivalry is supposed to be. Exactly. And before and Lofton and Derby, what are we going to be doing? Talking about like the weather and shit. Of course not. It's like <laughs> that's, the, that's the whole point of what a rivalry is. They're supposed to be rent free in each other's heads, and they are rent free. Of course, Arsenal are rent free in my head, and I, and I guarantee you that we are rent free in their heads as well. That's the idea of being rivals in football. So I hate that kind of. It's such a like dismissive, pointless comment about people when talking about Arsenal because mm. of course you're going to like every single Arsenal and Tottenham fan is obsessed with this derby over the next few games. So yeah, I've always hated that response to anything when they're like, oh, rent. It's like, yeah, of course you are, man. It's fucking rivalry. And on the exactly. sort of flip side to that, it's what really winds me up when like West Ham fans try and say <laughs> they live rent free in our heads and oh, you're just obsessed with us. And it's like, truly, my friends, we are not. Like, we have they bigger fucking fish to fry. West like, Ham are the annoying little brother. That is what they are. They think they're, and I have a younger brother, so I can say that. It's just they just think they're, they're it and they think that they're the, the main character, but realistically we're out here living our own lives we've got they're just a, a non-playing character just there to create it's like we've havoc. even you know we've got chelsea lads like you know even if arsenal doesn't take up all of our fucking bandwidth like we've then got to exactly. worry about chelsea who also employ like our beloved former manager like we cannot tell you west ham how little you take up any of our fucking available brain space like it's just uh. <laughs> Talking of rent free though, I, um, obviously I hate it when like Arsenal fans and Tottenham fans use it against each other. But man, did you see this fucking Jamie Vardy video this week where he is at some <laughs> random yes. festival? And it's like he is firstly a championship footballer right now. Let's just get that right out there right now. He's playing in the championship. And then he's like making some Tottenham joke to like Leicester fans. I mean, are even Leicester fans really that bold about us at this point? Like, if there's anything that is rent free, it is Tottenham in the heads of Jamie Vardy. Um, and I assume that he's doing that festival appearance because of his um, battling legal costs that his wife ensured <laughs> that he must pay. Um, <laughs> well, also, he is one like much. he grant. Yeah, of course, he's now a championship footballer, and that's a lovely thing. But like, he won a title. He's won an FA Cup. Like, can these guys just not have any fucking chill? Just like, I, mean, I think I to, leave us alone. to exactly. their credit, I don't even think Leicester fans are even bothered about us anymore. Like, there, there was that whole thing when it happened about the title race. But like, I mean, this guy, what is it like five or six years later? Man? It's like, come on, if anyone is like, that is it. That and is I don't it. know if we've ever, ever really spoken about this sort of growing like phenomena at festivals and at fucking wrestling and God knows we where catch else. Strays as a football club, we catch so many strays of all of these big events where there are people who are shouting, you know, what do you think of Tottenham? And there are people who don't even, they couldn't even name one player at our club. And I'm just, we're massive. We're such a big institution that we live rent-free in everyone's heads. Not just Arsenal fans. We're just so big and everyone just hates us and I love it. It's fine. Hate us. That is one of my biggest biggest, um, theories in football is that the reason why we struggle in the Premier League season is because we have six games where we're the most hated team and no one else has that. We've got six times this season with West Ham, Chelsea and Arsenal um, and all three of them, we're their most hated team and we obviously only have Arsenal that are our most hated team. Like 
Um, yeah, we play six derbies a year, and I think that plays a massive impact on our Premier League season because we are massive. I would like to do some sort of like social investigation as to the whole sort of what do you think of Tottenham thing, how that has sort of managed to infiltrate any event where there's more than like 25 people. That chant seems to like, is it just because like Arsenal fans are absolutely everywhere and they do just like penetrate these things? And I imagine if you go to something, something like the wrestling, you probably are going to get a much bigger percentage of Arsenal fans than you would at something that's not intended for children. Um, like, it's mad. Like it, it is a bit mad, but like you say, Davina, it's just because we're massive. And like, um, it's like I was watching. Um, what even was it last night? Some Champions League game. Uh, was it Man? It was one of the English Champions League games. And like Joe Cole made a comment. He was like, "Oh, the Champions League game from Tottenham fans don't get to hear that much." So like, mm-hmm. literally been in it like five out of the last six seasons or whatever. And like, you're a West Ham fan who have never been in it. It's like. I saw someone say that Lucas Moura scored half of Joe Cole's total Champions League goals in one half of football. Like, we're just, people will not ever let us rest. We're not even in the Champions League. Like, just talk about the teams that are for a season. It's absolutely wild to me. And I I kind of do get it because I think we, you know, I think we have gone into this a little bit in the past. And I think that we're the perfect team to both punch up at and punch down at in the sense that we're just good enough for the sort of big boys to see us as a proper rival. You know, our closest rival are a very good club sort of historically. So we're playing at a high level with Arsenal, but they're used to being better than us. And then they weren't for a bit and they hated that. So that rivalry is fine. And then, you know, Chelsea similar, but then the West Ham's are, as Davina says, the classic sort of little brother sort of punching up at us. Then you've got the Leicesters and you've got, like Southampton, it felt like they hated us for ages. Like just all these other little, little annoying clubs sort of coming up out of nowhere as well. Madness. Got fucking Juventus, you know, that Chiellini mm-hmm. thing. Just like, just let us be people. Good Lord, we've got our own fucking, like we're making it hard enough for ourselves, but well, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe, maybe Ange is the person that's going to like channel this energy in the right way. Yeah, like Davina says, it is quite nice being hated, and like, at least it's something. It's like the Simon Gal energy. Yeah, you know, it, is. it makes us unique because if you tell someone that I oh, like, especially for me, people are really shocked that I support Tottenham Hotspur. And why? Like, oh, why are they shocked? Why do you support? They're sort of like, typically, people from like my ethnicity either support United, Arsenal, or Liverpool everyone around me that growing up those three teams that I've, they've supported and I like rock up to the gym and like my spur shirt and they're like what and I'm like yeah I support them and they're like yeah but why do you support them blah 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 you would never ask anyone else like why do you support Arsenal why do you support Liverpool why do you support Manchester United it makes you unique as character development that's why mm. you know when you say you support Tottenham Hotspur say it with your chest with pride I, I mean, I, li- I lived in Tottenham for a long time and I would go into cafes and stuff in N fucking 17 and be asked like, you support Spurs? Like, you're a Spurs fan? Like, for real? It's like, not even in the postcode of the, where the club <laughs> plays football are you safe from weird people asking you, are you definitely an, an actual Spurs fan and why? Um, the, the hold that this football club has over the general public is fascinating, isn't it? Um, yeah. Give me your predictions for Sunday. Lovely, lovely people. Billy, what's the score going to be, mate? 
Um, I I have no handle on this whatsoever. I'm going to go two two, um, and Ooh. I'll take that all day. Nice high scoring draw. Two teams going at each other. Um, what I don't want to happen is like some kind of last minute. But the thing is about the Arsenal game that we played, we've never had like a heartbreaker one that I remember anyway. I can't remember ever being like one nil up or one all in the like them scoring in the last minute. I can't remember that. I might have been blanking out my memory, but um, you've I just spoken it into existence. Why did you yeah, do that? You've jinxed it. <laughs> Probably, but I'll just take a nice 2-2 draw where we come back from behind to level it, move on with our season um, and get this fucking game out of the way. Okay, 2-2, Billy. Davina. Mine was exactly the same, 2-2. Exactly the same. But I think there is going to be a penalty in that game. I just don't know who to. I can um, feel it. That's been playing on my mind. Like the first non-Kane penalty is going to be, it's going to be a lot, isn't it? Because it's not happened. Who yet. takes yeah. it? Who takes it? Son will take it. Son, yeah. Son will take it. Yeah. It's just you don't I get. Think, I can see Madison like grabbing the ball. I've just yeah. got visions of Madison, like going, "No, sorry, mate, this is it's a big thing." It's like we've we haven't had to worry about penalties for like ten years, and um, I know he scored as we recording this. He scored one earlier, and like. It's now going to be uh, as good as Son or Madison might be at taking him. It's now it's not going to have that same feeling of oh, he's going to score. It's fine. He's definitely going to score. But did you did you guys not feel like I lost that confidence in Harry scoring penalties last season? Like from, it might, what from the England game and like, he was, not just the England game, but do you remember Frankfurt the, the, game the well. Frankfurt game? Yeah, yeah. like he's I, I made really that. Lost, to be honest, yeah, I I I always I think he's probably like top three best penalty taker in the world. So I'm not. I don't know. I've never really. Yeah, he definitely kind of waned a little bit. Um, this is all part of my weird copium. That <laughs> but I'm it's just never, like... it's never, it's never going to be as the same, is it? Like every penalty is now. It's going to be like 50-50 kind of feeling. Of, is it going to go in or not? We're not going to have that same guarantee that we used to have. Sonny's uh, like the only penalty I can remember Sonny taking was didn't he miss one that, and score a rebound? That three-two against Villa when he broke his arm. Yeah, that one. Oh um, yeah. Did he miss it and score the rebound? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, That's a pretty poor penalty record, right? I remember reading. I think he missed oh a couple God. last year. Like Madison missed a couple last year as well. Someone was saying that Kulisevsky's... And Poro. Um, Poro takes penalties. Poro takes penalties. Imagine how hard Pedro Poro hits a penalty. Yeah. Like, rip the net open. It's, um, it would, I can definitely see it, obviously, being signed just because captain. Yeah. Um, I think he'll definitely take them. Oh God! Please don't miss Sonny. Oh. Um, this game, seriously, like, please just. Oh, it's my my father-in-law, as Billy knows, is an enormous Arsenal fan. All of my wife's family are all Islington-born and bred. It's his birthday on Saturday, and I, there's like, it's, and it's always like there's always some big family thing that we have to do. And it's always around the North London Derby at the Emirates. No, it's not the home game where it's like we have might have a chance of actually like winning. Plus, I can escape because I can go to the match because it's at our ground. So there's like, I think there's a thing on like Sunday around their house. And then it's like, do I just say no and act like a massive toddler refusing to go to a family party because... I'm a Spurs fan. Like this, this is, these are the problems that we face as football, like as rational-minded football fans who, in every other way in our lives, conduct ourselves with decorum and elegance and class. We are then thrown into these situations where we cannot control our emotions, and it isn't fair. It is not fair. Um, just, like the worst, um, one of the worst messages I've ever received in my life because. Um, <laughs> And this is it's the same thing that happened last weekend. So last weekend I was at a stag studio, um, 
obviously missed the uh, Sheffield United game, which has obviously gone down in history as one of the best games ever. Missed that one. Cheers for that. Now the wedding comes along, and I had I got a message from my friend Steve today, um, saying, "Oh, I've sorted you an Arsenal ticket." I was like, "What? What do you mean you sorted me an Arsenal ticket?" He's like, "No, I managed to get hold of one. I can give it to you. I can give it to you." Um, I was like, "I'm at a wedding. I'm at a wedding on this day. So like the the one time I could have actually gone to Arsenal away, um, I still can't go. So I'm hoping." Me not being there will be our enough juju to get us win this game because okay. Sheffield. And if we do win, then I do flame it. Um, to wrap up this bit, give me your. I want your best and worst memories of Arsenal away. Like, what's what was there? I mean, there's the worst part of this question is a lot easier than best, perhaps. But um, Davina, have you got? Was there one game that like properly did you in in this fixture? I think it's recency bias, but that that Nuno game really hit me because um, I was I just studied I just started studying abroad in France, and I was surrounded by Arsenal fans, like my new friends that I had made, and we went to watch <laughs> it at a, at a bar, which is which was showing Premier League football, and I was just sat there on my own, trying to control my anger that we had just conceded three in the first fifteen minutes. Uh, like yeah, uh, there I have definitely been worse during my childhood, but in recent times I can count that as like one of the days that I have never been more furious at that team. And I sat there and I watched it till the end, and I had to be had to be there. And we we're going out afterwards. I had to control myself. But the best, yeah, there haven't really been very very many good ones. Are we just talking at the Emirates? Yeah, specifically okay. Arsenal away. Yeah. Okay, so we can choose. Recently, 2011. One game. And we can choose 2019 in the cup. And I'm going 2019 in the cup because um, what a performance by Ali. And um, I, I loved that game because it was the day before I was flying out. And then we flew Emirates the day after. And my dad, myself and my brother, we wore our new Spurs shirts that we always do when we go on family holidays. We get three matching ones. <laughs> and we took a picture outside, like next to every single Emirates sign that we saw. And we went like this. And it was like, I think it was one of my first tweets that went viral on Twitter. Davina is holding it. up a two and an O, by the way. <laughs> yeah, a two and an O, yeah. And uh, it's one of my favourite pictures and it's up next to my bed, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you, Davina, are you, do you get really, like, do you, you mentioned watching the that Nuno dreadful game. Do you get proper pissed off? Like, are you, are you like an, an anger kind of watcher of these sort of games? Uh, yes, when I know that the, we haven't played well or when we've not put in the effort. If we yeah. lose and, you know, we played well and we have positives to take out of that game, then fair enough. There's something which has come out of that game that you can learn from, you move on. But if you have just, like, created a mess on the pitch, there's nothing to take out of it, everyone's mm. head's all over the place, then it's sort of like... Why have we why have we even turned up? We should have just forfeit the whole game, right? You sort of save me the embarrassment and the stress of that ninety minutes, which is unmatched. That that ninety minutes is living hell. And there's the not only, the only thing about that. that specific game. I remember just we went three 0 down so quickly that I was just like, okay, well that's done. Like that's done. Yeah, just, you know, you don't have that sort of two like nearly two hours worth of absolute like dread of mm-hmm. you know, oh god, what's the worst thing that can happen? Because the worst thing that can happen happens after like fifteen minutes quite often in this game. Um I'm gonna my best one. I think it was 
You know the one where Chadley scored? I think it was, was yeah. it Poch's first North London derby? I think it was, yeah. I think it was because it was, it was really the first proper, proper time where I felt like Poch and that team was for real because we, I think we we yeah, went up one nil in that game, and I think they they pegged us back. But we played really well, and we deserved the point, and we didn't look like cowards, and we didn't hide. And I just and thought, you know what, like it was iconic as well. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, big time. Um, and that you know that team that he was building was so likable, and yeah, that that I think is my my kind of low key favorite moment. My least favorite moment was. It was the one of the Emery games when we went two one up. Eric Dyer scored, four two, uh, and then we lost four two. And Jan yeah. got sent off, and it was just hideous. That was my last day of my paternity leave, um, and my in laws, who I must—I mean, not that my in laws are ever going to listen to this ever—but I adore my in laws. They're two of the most wonderful people in the history of the world. Um, but they were—they came around to our house, and we had. You know, we were really tired, had the new baby, hadn't been sleeping at all. And they like came around and they were like, oh, we're going to come around and like help you do a roast lunch. And we'll all, you know, the boys can watch the football. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? I don't, they're coming to my house to watch a North London derby on my last day of like, I have had no sleep in three weeks. What the hell? No, but came around, they did. And I had to sit there with my father-in-law watching this fixture watching the horror that was that 4-2 unfold, which culminated in my favourite, potentially my favourite all-time Spurs player being sent off in the song. And my my father-in-law, who, like I said, is a wonderful man. And he didn't even say anything that, like, bad. It was just, like, very kind of vanilla ribbing when they scored their fourth goal and the game was clearly beyond Spurs. And I just, like, flounced off upstairs and um, was just sat on our beds in our bedroom just thinking, how do I get out of this? I have just like flounced off in my own home with my new baby downstairs. <laughs> the roast dinner is being prepared and will be finished quite soon. And and like my mother-in-law came up and like gave me a talking to about how like I was a father now and I needed to like stop being so immature about football. And I I've never felt so pathetic. I've never felt so angry at Tottenham Hotspur for putting me in that situation yet again. And uh, yeah, that's my worst. So that was probably a massive overshare, wasn't it? And quite embarrassing on many, many levels. But um, I think captures just the the sort of trouble you have when you marry into an Arsenal family because you are left behaving like a massive baby far too often. Um, Those are my answers. Billy, give me yours. Um, yeah, my best is also um, uh, the cup game because I, it might be my all-time favorite Tottenham goal, the Daddy Ali goal. I think I said that before mm-hmm. on here. Like, Aww. I think it's one of the best. Like that goal is so underratedly hard. That finish is insane. It's also like one of the first first times we kind of saw the whole Kane dropping deep thing. Um, I know some people claim Mourinho invented that, but obviously, if you watch that, he, he didn't. And um, yeah, I think it's one of the best goals we've ever scored, and uh, that was great. My wor- I was going to say Eric Dyer as well. The thing that frustrates me about those games is like we were actually a much better team than them under Postuna. We mm. never turned up there and beat them, and we never even turned up there and played better than them. Like we know, ne- I've I've never seen us at the Emirates be the better team. Um, certainly in recent years, anyway, which is really frustrating. But I'll go for a different. One. I'll go for last year just because as someone who has built their entire online persona around loving Emerson and hating Arsenal. 
Um, when he got sent off there, I was pretty embarrassed. So yeah, that was mine. Um, a bit of a low one for me it was Emerson getting sent off there last year. And luckily, I was at um, I think I was at, I was at some kind of party last year, some kind of rave. Can't remember where. I might have been Studio Three Three Eight. So I just literally turned my phone off and pretended, and never even happened. Um, I think that's often Rose's tactic, isn't it? Like she very rarely like puts herself through it, and I kind of admire it in a way. I can't not watch because I feel like. I have that pathetic thing where I'm like, well, if I'm watching, I can like somehow contribute in, yeah. in a tiny way. Maybe, maybe the bad thing won't happen if I'm watching, which is fucking ridiculous, of course. But um, weird, weird maybe the bad thing won't happen, guys. Maybe the bad thing isn't going to happen this time. Please, man. Please, man. Please. We do deserve it as well. We really. No, I will literally take just a nothing, non-event draw. If that's um, oh. day. just nice a nil-nil with like yeah, zero happens. shots on target. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I would take it. Like two of the most attacking teams in the league. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. We're going to be fine. Um, let's round off quickly. Have you got any culture picks for me, um, Billy? What have you been? What have you been watching? You went to the cinema the other night because you couldn't do the podcast. What'd you go and see? I went to see uh, Ghost of Venice, um, which is pretty good. But my culture pick, which is um, Kenneth Branagh film, another Tottenham fan. Um, but my culture pick has been sidetracked today by news that I saw from one of our friends, Constance, who um, is an amazing Twitter account. If you don't follow, make sure you get to follow She her. She is like, just not, I was going to say low-key, not low-key, high-key, like the ultimate Twitter follow at yeah, this point. Like One Constant, of my favourite accounts. Constant yeah. Coys is like, she's funny, she's smart, she finds like all the good stuff first, like all the fucking like best son stuff, obviously like the career stuff she's really hot with, but like every single cool coys related thing, she's on it. And she's yeah, she's brilliant. We love her. Yeah, she's fucking brilliant. I was actually walking out of work today and I saw her tweet that Bong Joon Ho is a Tottenham fan. He just said an interview and he is I'm such a Bong Joon Ho fanboy. He's a Korean South Korean director, um, who directed Parasite and he won an Oscar for Best Director a couple of years ago. And he is by far and away my favorite director. And I literally stopped in my tracks on the way home. I was like I nearly dropped my phone. It was that like, insane moment. It's like such a fanboy moment that he's a Tottenham. And obviously it's because of like Son's influence on the game, um, being a fellow South Korean, but it's just like the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I'm so happy that it exists. And I'm so happy that she shared that. Um, so I have had a Bong Joon-ho night tonight and I would recommend, um, obviously Parasite is like his biggest film, which he's most known for, but he also did Snowpiercer, which is another really good film. And on, if you've never seen any of his films, I'd highly recommend getting to watch them because they're all amazing. And I think his average score on Rotten Tomatoes is like 92% or something. Like he's never, ever made a bad film. He's got like eight films. They're all amazing. But I would go for Memories of Murder, which is a 2003 film, um, which is a fucking masterpiece, man. It's like got voted one of the best crime films ever, um, set in South Korea. And any Bong Joon-ho films, because he is proper Spurs, is my culture pick. Um, if we do win this game, that is the episode title for the next yeah. for the next show, right? People um, know that our, all of our episode titles are like Tottenham related. Is that like a thing in the universe? No, I don't think so. I think in the first season when they were all obviously Adele titles, that was we very, very quickly ran out of Adele titles. We very quickly after season one ran out of Adele songs, and then yeah, we. Uh, I think it's because we were gonna like sort of reveal the culture pick behind the episode title on Twitter each week. And then invariably you and I would always forget to do it, Bill. And then it's just become, 
So I think people no, just think anything it's... that is made by someone who supports Spurs are the episode names. There's always so if you ever yeah. find, find out who it is, let us know. Yeah, yeah, do message us. Um... Like Kenneth Branagh films have been in there. There's like one of my nichest one was like a Lamar song. Remember Lamar from like <laughs> from uh, was it Fame Academy he was on or something like that. Like Chaz and Dave. Well, he was, he, yeah. Chaz and Dave are the ultimate resource because yeah, they've they, they recorded about 800,000 songs. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Goldstein is another one. We've got a few of his films in there. Yeah. Um, by the way, did you see that um, Bong's next film is called Mickey 17? Ah. The, the one with Robert Pattinson, which I now, now that I know that he's Coys, I'm like, Maybe he misread Mickey Van Der Ven's squad number and saw a one when actually it was a three and has named his upcoming uh, sort of sci-fi spectacular after um, Europe's most handsome centre-back. Um, I'm loving I'm loving that thread, though. It's such oh, a good the, read. My, um, yeah, my teen drama one. The pressure's on now. I haven't done one in a while because, uh, you know... I mean, you, you two are far more viral than I'll ever be, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's quite it's quite a pressure cooker situation now. To sort How of cool it is right. it though, in, in life in general that Son has this like worldwide influence that you get all these cool fans? I think it's like the best thing ever. I, I fucking love it, man. I love that mm. there's a lot of South Korean celebrities that mention us. We're in like random South Korean films. There's like Tottenham games on the background. I think it's like one of the coolest things ever. I am... Um... I just, um, we've said it before as well, but like the amount of incredible, like the coolest people I've ever met are the Korean fans that come to the stadium. Like those guys dress well and they are so nice and they are so cool. And, you know, they like ask you questions and they're super like engaged with the club and they want to know like how you became a fan and who your favorite player is and what you think of Sonny. And, It'll be a really sad day when, I mean, you know, you would like to think that some ambassador. of these guys, ambassador. all of these, ambassador. yeah, he can't ever leave. He can't ever leave. And I also like, I really do buy, maybe I'm, I know, I don't think I'm being naive at all, but, you know, I really feel like these guys are fans for life now as well. And, you know, I really hope that we keep Son close to the club. My dream is Jan Vertonghen comes back and Son, he and Sonny, Sort of, I don't think they'll be coaches. I think I can totally see Jan as like some sort of technical director, like director of football type, like some beautifully cut suit, a sort of polo neck jumper, perfect mm. hair. And he and Sonny sort of run running the kind of recruitment sort of. Could you not just see the pair of them at like a Champions League draw representing the club? Like Jan raising a wry smile when we draw Ajax and Sonny getting excited about. I don't know, Leverkusen or someone like those two coming back in some sort of capacity is my ultimate. Yeah, I worry. Sort of, I just can't. I, yeah, post Son Tottenham life would be fucking horrible to think about. So just hope that he stays forever in some capacity. Long way away to think about because talks of a contract extension. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. 10 years. Yeah. Do it, man. Um, well, is that about. talk like legit, by the way? Does that yeah. come from it's proper people? Obviously, he doesn't, doesn't get a lot wrong. So. I think it's um deserved, right? Like he's just he is our club now. He's the face of our club. Do it. Just literally keep him in mm-hmm. line. Fuck it. Yeah, lifetime contract. Um, Davina, what have, have you been enjoying anything lately? I think I'm late to the game, but I've started. Manifest. I really hope this is like EastEnders or something. <laughs> no, I'm really late to the game, but I think it's Manifest on Netflix. 
It's oh, um, about- I keep hearing people. I haven't watched either, but I keep loads of people tell me I should. It is brilliantly written. I mean, I'm on season one, episode four, but they're hour-long episodes. I feel like I'm exhausted at the beginning of this week. Not done too badly, but I just think it's so well written. The terms that I've seen. So it's about um, a plane which takes off in 2013. And I'm not, it's not a spoiler because it's happened in the first five minutes of the whole show. It comes back and it's five years later. But the people on the plane have not aged at Ooh. all. Is it a bit like lost? That is unsold already. Unsold. I mean, it is oh, the first four episodes. I have just sat there. Normally, when I start a new TV show, it takes me a couple episodes to get into it, and I'm like, oh, well, I might be scrolling on my phone. Or I'll be doing something. From the minute I put on this show, everything has to go away, and I have to sit there. And if I miss like a couple of minutes, I rewind it and I watch it again. It's that captivating. Hundred percent recommend. Okay, because I remember, I think we watched like half of the first episode and maybe we were like scrolling or weren't keeping up with it. And no, so it was on some, It was on some weird channel on UK TV for a while, like one of the sort of odder Sky ones. Um, mm-hmm. And whenever something's not on Sky Atlantic, I'm always a bit like, mm, why aren't you on Sky Atlantic? Why are you on Sky, you know, living or something? Anyway, boring. Um, but okay, I'm going to go and give it another go. Um, I'm going to recommend the new Cleo Soul album, Heaven, that came out last week. It's typically beautiful from her. It's really, really nice. Um, I'm still like, can't stop listening to Olivia Rodrigo to the point where I'm kind of concerned that I'm a, like, I'm not her audience at all. And I'm, I'm worried I'm becoming one of those like people my age that are really obsessed with Taylor Swift that are like, proper annoying but i'm gonna be like that but for olivia olivia rodrigo um i was like i think i said on the last podcast but yeah i'm just like i was i got like upset imagining like my daughter having her first heartbreak whilst listening to it and i was like this is i'm too deep i need to stop listening now this is ridiculous but guts is so good man like the idea that people are get I was reading things about people getting angry that like, oh, like she's doing like the <laughs> the memory of Avril Lavigne is being disrespected by like, what, what is going on that like Avril Lavigne, albeit like an icon in her own right, but like Olivia Rodrigo can't make sort of fun pop punk music because it's somehow disrespectful to uh to Gwen Stefani. Not Gwen Stefani, what we're talking about. Um Agree. I'm so tired I've been up for a very long time and I'm mixing up my Northeast pop stars um, that's my pick Olivia and Cleo two different ends of the musical spectrum um, and we have covered all sorts of ends of the coy spectrum in this conversation um, Billy of course as always thank you ever so much um, for being amazing Davina so good to have you back my friend this has been yeah, that was, thank you because I was obviously listening to that interview like I it was really good to hear about all that stuff so thank you for doing yeah that. we really appreciate you um coming on to talk about that and then also get, getting deep in your north london derby bag as well for for that big chat um please come back very soon we love having you um guys thank you ever so much good luck for the weekend um godspeed us all it's going to be fine hopefully um that was episode nine of season three of hometown glory billy see you soon Harvest first.